God, I continue to pray that you'll just bless the service, Lord. Bless the words that come out of Pastor Steve's mouth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you say we do that again, but it not make it a polite golf clap? Let's, let's work. Let's give God some praise. Amen. God is so good. <laughs> Amen. Well, good morning, family. <laughs> How many of you feel like you've been to church already? All right. Yeah, I feel like we've already been there, done that. We can, we can go ahead and head to the, well, I used to say we head to the Golden Corral. We can't do that anymore, can we? Now we got to head to the Chinese buffet, but that's, that's, that's where we go. Amen. So uh, if you have not tried the Chinese buffet, let me highly recommend it. This is good food. Amen. So, so good to see everybody this morning. I want to uh, just make a note. My, thank you so much for praying for my wife, Jess, uh, this past week. She was really sick. Uh, I have not seen her down that sick in a long time. And a lot of you guys texted, called, messaged, uh, prayed for her. Uh, Pastor Kenny led service for us on Wednesday night and, and led you guys in, in prayer for her on Wednesday night. And just thank you so much for that. Uh, we did not, I did not come Wednesday night because I wasn't sure if what she had was COVID or not. Because it was, it, it had all the symptoms. Uh, but we got the results back and it was negative. It was not COVID. So I'm like, woohoo, I get to preach Sunday. I can be here. It's all good you know and, and my wife is healthy so I'm glad about that too you know it was at both of those you know so we're, we're good with both of those um, but she uh, started feeling better on Friday actually went to work on Friday uh, and then came home went directly to bed almost and and then Saturday she had uh, we had the walk for life that we sponsor for Citrus Pregnancy Center right here at First Baptist so we were there she did not walk uh, I walked in her proxy uh, and uh, so, so I took care of that. And then today, she is not with us because she is speaking at Homosassa First Baptist uh, this morning. So we pray for her and lift her up in prayer as she's speaking there on the subject of life uh, for, for those folks. So we're, we're grateful that she has that ability and opportunities to do that. Um, I want to mention, is Pastor Eddie in the room? Pastor Eddie, stand up, man. <laughs> Y'all don't even know what you're clapping for yet. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. You probably saw on Facebook this week, uh, Pastor Eddie, finally, uh, he received his diploma a while ago, uh, but finally he got to walk uh, for his master's in divinity from Liberty University in Virginia. And we just... We honor you for the, all the, the time, energy, and effort you put into that, and, and we just we celebrate with you and the family. So, and and e as equally as important, while he was in Virginia, he got to go see Xavier, their son, who is a, uh, recently out of boot camp and uh, on, on base station there in Virginia. So they got to go see him as well. So X, if you're watching this morning, we love you. And uh, so, so we praise God for you. Amen. 
So I want to mention, uh, we, we do have baptisms coming up, and Pastor Eddie hit on it briefly, but they're on June 27th, and I just want to let you know in the front lobby, there's a sign-up sheet. It's kind of right in the middle of the lobby as you're coming into the second hallway. Um, and if you or someone in your family uh, is feeling led to get baptized, maybe you've never been baptized and you would like to be, or maybe you were baptized, but then you spent some time away from God and you've come back to God since then and you want to get baptized, we want to offer that to you. And also, uh, Bob Armstrong, right up there behind the soundboard this morning, completely re refurbished our baptismal. So uh, last time, the, yeah, give him, give him a hand clap of appreciation. The last time we had baptismals, the water was about 52 degrees. And it was it was it was cold uh, spring water right out of the Florida ground, man. And it was it was cold, and uh, people were shivering. I'm trying to baptize them; they got purple lips, you know. It it just it wasn't good. Uh, but this time we got a fix. Got some some nice new heaters and and pump and circulators and uh, all of that kind of mess that I know nothing about. But but Bob did, and uh, thank God for Bob. Amen. So we'll have a, a nice warm baptism next time. But if you would like to sign up, there the sheets are right out there in the lobby and you have a spot to sign up on and that's June 27th so we're giving you a little bit of time uh, to get prepared for that invite family members and, and all of that kind of stuff uh, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 10 this morning we are continuing in our series living an empowered life uh, today is part six I'm counting what Jessica preached uh, last week for Mother's Day as part five didn't she do a phenomenal job I I tell you what, it's twofold. One, I'm so grateful that I have a wife that has the ability to preach and teach like she does. And two, I'm scared for my job every time she does it. Because she, she sometimes is way better than me, man. I'm, I'm grateful for her. Uh, but she did an awesome job. And, and uh, she was in Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up kind of where she left off in Acts chapter 10 this week. How many of you know we are a church that believes the whole Bible? Right, we we don't pick and choose which pieces to believe. We don't we don't uh, cherry pick s particular scriptures and verses uh, to to leave out. You know, we we believe in the entirety of the Bible. We believe the whole Bible is inspired by God. That every single area of the Bible is what we believe. It it was not only for the past few thousand years, but it was for today. Amen. So it's not only for the first century church, but it's for this century church, right? It's not only for what was going on uh, with the apostles in the, in the early days and the, the formation of the church and God was doing some supernatural things during that time, but it was, it's not only for the, the supernatural things weren't only for that time, but they're also for our time. Amen. That we believe the same God that did the same miracles during that time is the same God that continues to do the same miracles today. Amen. If you believe that, go ahead and just give them a shout. Amen. If you haven't figured out, we're a loud church and, uh, you know, so you, you can feel free to amen and shout some stuff out as long as it's appropriate. If it's inappropriate, we may look at you funny, but if, if it's appropriate, we're good with it. Amen. So we, we believe the things of the, of the early church still apply today. And some of those things is we believe in deliverance and casting out spirits that aren't from God. Uh, we believe in transformational mindset change. Uh, we believe that that is still good today, as good as it was in the early church. We believe uh, in the tearing down of strongholds that the Bible talks about. Strongholds that are formed in our minds by the enemy uh, and from our own experiences to stop us from thinking the way 
that God thinks or seeing people the way that God sees them. Uh, how many of you know we can have strongholds in our mind that keep you from seeing somebody the way God views them? Amen. That, that there is so much division uh, in, our, in our country. And, and, it, it, and even though it's kind of cycled out of the news cycle, it's still there. there. There's some division and some hatred and some tensions and things that happen in our country uh, for, for a long time. But, but some of that disunity and division and hatred has cycled into the church. Right? You start seeing that in the church. And how many of you know in the church we're called to be unified? We're called to be of, of one, one heart and one mind. We're called to, to stand together as brothers and sisters no matter our heritage, no matter where we came from, no matter who our mom and dad was, no matter how much sin we committed in the world, uh, no matter what our, our tone of melanin in our skin happens to be, that we're called to stand together shoulder to shoulder as brothers and sisters in unity in the church. Amen. So as I look out across the crowd this morning, both upstairs and downstairs, I see I see people from different backgrounds, people from different cultures, people from different with different skin tones, uh, people who have uh, who have uh, come from money and people who don't, and and people who who come from West Virginia and people who don't. How many of you know West Virginia is its own world, right? Uh, that was me, by the way. I came from West Virginia. That's where I was born. Uh, I don't always claim it, uh, but sometimes I have to because it just comes out in me, right? Uh, but, but people who come from different areas of the world and people who came from right here in Inverness, Florida. Uh, people who traveled the East Coast and the West Coast and people who never left Inverness, right? We have all of those people here in this place. And how many of you know that all of us together, no matter how different on the outside you may seem, you're brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. We are, we are together. And that's how the early church was. Right? The early church was called to be a church of unity. And if they were called to be a church of unity, then we were called to be a church of unity. Amen. So how many of you know there's no more stubborn of a spirit than a religious spirit? There is no more stubborn of a spirit to deal with than a religious spirit. And there's no more gripping of a stronghold in your mind than a religious stronghold. Uh, and some of you came this morning, you think, well, isn't that why we're here? Isn't this religion? And no, we don't claim this as religion, uh, although technically in what it is, but we claim this as relationship with our Heavenly Father. Amen? Uh, th th we, we're all about being in relationship with our Father and being in relationship with our big brother, Jesus Christ, who, who did what he did on, on behalf of us that we've been singing about all morning that we claim to be in relationship with them uh, but sometimes through the functions of man and through the creation of church doctrines and church culture and 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 things that that people get used to doing and even things that weren't necessarily God speaking but it was man speaking and everybody got used to it and kept it in the church for generations and generations and they have turned that into theological doctrine and it's not They've turned man-made things into God things, and they're not, right? And when that happens, and it gets steeped in your mind, then when God comes through and wants to do something fresh in your life, and in your church body, and in your home, and, and in your workplace, and in your own personal mindset, and in your own personal Bible study, and when God wants to do something new and different, and breathe in like a fresh blowing wind uh, of the Holy Spirit coming through your house, and then all 
all of a sudden you bow up at him. And if you find yourself bowing up at God, you probably got a religious spirit. Right? And it's, it's a spirit that tells you uh, that you're right. You're always right. Right? And that's a religious spirit. Religious strongholds feel justified because they're religious. And if it's religious, I must be justified in feeling the way that I feel. Right? But how many of you know God isn't about leaving you thinking and feeling the way you think and feel? God is about creating something different. God, how many of you know God is about calling you on your mess? How many of you in this church today have ever had God just call you on your mess? Right? This morning. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't this morning, but recently. Yeah, right? God, God calls you on your mess sometimes. And when he does, how you respond uh, tells you what kind of stronghold or spirit you're responding in. And if you respond bowed up to God, you're probably dealing with a religious spirit or a religious stronghold. And if you respond humbly, uh, bowing down before God, you probably don't. Right? When he challenges something in us. But religious spirits uh, can be... How many of you know you could be religious about smoking weed? Religious is just a word. And, and if somebody's religious about smoking weed, is that God? Probably not, right? Uh, uh, definitely not, right? You could, be, you could be religious about sin. You could be a religious sinner. That means you religiously sin every week or every day, right? You could be religious about sin, but how many of you know that's still not God, right? Uh, you could be religious about deeply held, firm in your faith, man-made traditions about what church and evangelism and the gospel is supposed to look like and you can be dead wrong and you can be not linked up with God. So there was a time, I, I told a story a few weeks ago about a young lady who visited a staunch conservative church. And I want to tell another story about a young man who came into a traditional church to worship. Uh, he, he was not from that area, was traveling through. Uh, he was a surfer. Uh, so when you, when you see this young man, if you could picture him in your mind, he had, you know, board shorts on and sandals and long hair, you know, and, and he was a surfer and he had a beard grown out and just didn't look like the typical person that would be walking in to this congregation, right? He came into the congregation walking down the center aisle and the people looked at him and went, and they felt so bad for him because he didn't have at least one decent suit to put on to go to church. And they felt so bad for that young man. Oh, oh Lord, just touch him. Look at him, Lord. Must be homeless. <laughs> Look at him, Lord, just touch him. And, and the young man walked up the center aisle. He was late for service because he didn't know what time they started. And, and during the singing of the hymns on stage, uh, he looked around for a seat. And there were none easily available. And nobody scooted in for him. And the people sighed and, and said, You should be here on time if you expect to honor God. And then the young man shrugged his shoulders to be undeterred by the, the welcome and the sort of uh, not welcome that he received. He shrugged his shoulders and he came to the front and he sat on the floor right in front of the altar and began to sing along with them singing hymns and raising his hands. He began to raise his hands and sing. And then as he was singing and raising hands, an older gentleman in his 80s uh, uh, in the back slowly began to stand, straightened his suit, grabbed his cane, 
and began the long, slow walk from the back of the sanctuary up to the front where the young man had plopped himself down and crossed his legs and began to worship. The people sighed again and said, Well, Elder Smith has to deal with his inappropriateness. It's a shame, but maybe he'll learn a lesson for when he returns to this church next time. How to dress, how to show up on time, how to find a seat because you're there early, and how to worship God in an honorable way. And the people just watched. And the older man, the elder, the church statesman, the leader in the church reached the young man and all eyes were on the situation. Nobody was worshiping except for the young surfer with his eyes closed. Everybody else was ignoring the choir, ignoring the hymns, and they were watching the situation unfold because they didn't want to miss it when Elder Smith yanked him up by his collar and walked him out to teach him a lesson. And everybody watched. The elder walked up, approached the man, placed his hand on the young man's shoulder. And then he began the long, arduous process because he was old and his back ached of bending down to make eye contact with the young man. But this congregation was surprised because he continued on down, past the eye contact until the elder seated cross-leg style right next to the surfer on the floor. And he laid his cane down and he began to lift his hands in worship with the surfer. There's two different spirits that we find in churches today, right? And, and I, I, as a, as the pastor and head of this church, this church will always have the spirit of that 80 year old elder that walked down the aisle and sat next to somebody who looked out of place who felt out of place, who continued to worship God anyway, and who had more love in his heart for God than the people who were distracted by his look when they came in, right? This church needs to be the spirit of that. But all too often, all too often in, in churches across the United States of America, people fill in and walk in and feel unwelcomed rather than welcome. There's a story I heard this weekend about Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, if you know Gandhi, you've probably uh, have, have heard some of his quotes. You know, he's, he's a big name in, uh, I think it's Buddhism, is that right? In it, one of those uh, other world religions. But uh, Mahatma Gandhi, when he was young, dealt, came up against some walls in his own religion. And he dealt with some issues. Uh, then he heard that there was a church within walking distance uh, that celebrated Christ and were Christians. He walked to that church, uh, came walking in, and the people asked him to leave because of his skin color. And they said, you need to go find people of your kind to worship with. And Mahatma Gandhi uh, missed the opportunity that day to meet Christ accept Christ, change his path, 
and to be an incredible, possibly an incredible leader uh, for the church and for the kingdom. And instead, with hurt in his heart, he turned around and walked away and decided instead to stay in his religion and just transform that. Right? So sometimes we miss opportunities by how we respond to people. Sometimes uh, we throw off the process of what God is trying to do in somebody by how we respond to them. How many of you know that sometimes when you meet somebody that may look different than you, act different than you, come from the other side of the tracks, uh, grow up different than you, seem different than you, talk different from, from you, and then all of a sudden you meet them and based on judgments that you've made, you don't do what God has asked you to do in that moment. And and instead, you do something different. And because you, you walk away and do something different in that moment, you've hindered the process of that person coming into the kingdom. Now, I believe in a, in a big, big God. Right, And I believe that in those, in those times and situations that we mess up, if we repent and, and tell God we're sorry, uh, that God will plant somebody else in the path of that person that you were supposed to touch. Right, But I believe that all of our lives as Christians, none of us are on an island. Each and every one of us are connected to dozens, maybe hundreds, sometimes thousands of other people. And what we do and say affects people as a ripple effect right down the road, right, right down the line. So one area of becoming more like Jesus is essentially separating yourself from religiousness that stands in between who you are and who God wants you to be. That is probably a great definition of what religiousness is. It can be a stronghold and a wall that separates you from who you are to who God wants you to be. And a lot of times we have to tear down strongholds in our life in order to do that. So we're in our series in Acts and uh, so far we've seen several moments of empowerment by God. We've seen supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit being sent to the church. The church suddenly bust forth as a, as a power in the region, scaring political and religious leaders who scrambled to stop it. How I many of you know that when the church launched, religious people got scared? Right. When the church launched, people who were steeped in religion got scared because it didn't look anything like what they expected it to look like. It did, they weren't acting like they were taught to act. Uh, they seemed so different and so out of picture with what religiousness was and what they knew to be religiousness. So the religious people, the political leaders got scared. Uh, leaders emerged from the local church. Peter specifically began to walk in his calling. Right? Peter. How many of you uh, know really well the life of Peter? Right? We see Peter throughout all of the Gospels. We see, we see tons of, of situations with Peter. Uh, Peter, uh, just like the song Pastor Brad sang to close the worship set, uh, Peter was probably the last one you would expect to be the leader of the church during that time. Peter was the one that, that couldn't keep his mouth shut and opened up and said things that he wasn't supposed to say. Right? Peter was the bullheaded one, right? But all of a sudden we see Peter walk in his calling, walking in power and authority. Uh, sin invaded the church. As I preached on the week before Mother's Day, sin invaded the church and then God dealt with it quickly. 
And then we see the power of repentance and salvation in the Jews with the transformational repentance of Saul, who was a persecutor of the early church, uh, coming to a radical transformation and salvation, becoming a Christian, following Christ, and beginning to study with those that he was persecuting. Right? So we, we see Paul who persecuted and murdered and, and drug people out and imprisoned Christians. We see Paul uh, in this moment coming to faith in Christ. And then all of a sudden, as a, as a church, Paul comes walking up in the middle of the church and says, Hey, I'm now a Christian. How many of you know a lot of those people didn't trust him? Right? A lot of those people were like, Okay. Yeah, you're a Christian. Nobody turned their back on Paul for the first probably couple of months, right? They're like waiting on him to turn and do something different, right? But they, I'm sure they saw pretty quickly that, that Paul had a genuine transformation and a new genuine love for Christ, right? And we, so we see repentance happen across the Jewish people. And with the Jewish people, we see that repentance is indeed a gift. Even for those who were staunchly against the church, they got the gift of repentance. And then now we pick up in chapter 10 and 11 uh, with obedience to continue changing is the theme. So read with me in Acts chapter 10 if you've turned there already or you're, if you have a digital Bible just click on that and we're going to start reading in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with another Simon, by the way, another Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had experienced all these things to them, he, or explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. So we have the, uh, first a new character coming up in the book of Acts. As we're traveling through, we see somebody that we haven't seen uh, before. We see Cornelius, who happens to be a centurion of the Roman army of the Italian regiment, uh, who found in the God of the Jewish people something exceptional. This was a, a man who was opposed to the Jews, supposedly by his, by his uh, stature and by his job title and who he was, uh, called to keep order in, as, they, as, they, uh, as they stayed there and took care of that region, right? He was called to keep order. And we see Cornelius come up and Cornelius, it, the Bible says something strange, something different about a centurion, right? This centurion, he and his household feared the Lord. There was something strange going on. It was different. It was different for a centurion during that time for his household to fear the Lord. And when it says he feared the Lord, they're talking about the God of the Israelites. Right? He feared the God of the Israelites. That means he honored him. He respected the God of the Israelites. Uh, this man gave generously to the local Jewish people. It was the ninth hour of the day in this story, which means 3 p.m., which is a designated prayer time for the, for the Jews. 
So he was even praying at the same time that the Jews were praying. So at, at, at the ninth hour of the day, he found himself praying. Now he honored God, loved God, prayed, for, prayed to God, did, uh, gave alms to the Jewish people, uh, loved the Jewish people, but yet he wasn't allowed in the temple. Cornelius couldn't go in the temple. The Jews would have referred to Cornelius as a proselyte of the gate rather than a proselyte of righteousness. In other words, you, you can have so much of God, but you can't have all of this. Right? You're, you don't, you're, you're welcome to, to have some of it, but you can't have all of it. Right? And that's what the Jews were saying to Cornelius of the time. That you're, yes, you love God. We, we can tell that you're, you're, you love God. But you have to still stay at the gate. You're a proselyte of the gate. You can't walk in and have all of what we have. Right? You, you have to stay to a certain point. You can't get any further than that because of who you are. Right? So they're basically uh, against Cornelius just because of his heritage and where he comes from and because he's not a Jew and because all tradition says that they're non-Jews, Gentiles, are not allowed inside the temple. Right? So he, he believed in God and served him but could not have all that God had to offer. But only because of the religiousness of man. So he was obviously afraid. At this point, Cornelius was praying and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. He was obviously afraid and he asked, what is it, Lord? The angel said, God has noticed you. How many of you know that sometimes when you feel like you've been all alone and you feel like you're desperate and you feel like, like nobody in the world is paying attention to your situation, can I tell you today that God notices you? God knows where you're at. God knows what you're dealing with. And if you've been faithful to remain faithful to be in relationship with God, that in your time of need, God will notice you. In your time of need, God will, God will speak to you. Amen? So this angel spoke to him and said, Send for Simon, known as Peter. He will tell you what to do next. Now, now Peter's Hebrew name was Simon or Simone, uh, which means listener or hearer. Which is really, really funny because Peter is known for speaking out before he hears anything. <laughs> Peter is known for, for opening his mouth and speaking before anybody finishes talking. But his given name was listener or hearer. Uh, it could be why Jesus gave Peter the nickname The Rock. Right? He said, I'm not going to call you listener because you're not listening, Peter. I'm going to call you the rock. And we know that rocks are strong and that's one of the reasons he gave him. But how many of you know rocks are also stubborn? How many of you have ever had to dig rocks out of your yard or dig rocks out of a garden or dig rocks out of a place, right? Rocks are stubborn, man. They're, they're a little bit hard. How many of you have ever had a pebble in your shoe? Right? A pebble in your shoe will mess with you all day long until you find it and get it out, right? Uh, rocks are strong, but rocks are stubborn. So we see this angel coming to Cornelius and saying, God has noticed you and we want you to send for Peter. Why didn't the angel just share the gospel to him? Why didn't the angel in that moment, why did they bother going to get Peter? Because it's about a two-day walk, so they had to send somebody two days to get him. They had to wait for him to agree and maybe sleep another night and then walk back two more days uh, to get there. So they, they took up the better part of a week. Why didn't God just have the angel explain the gospel to Cornelius so that Cornelius understood it, right? He obviously had his attention. Uh, how many of you, if an angel appeared before you, he would have your attention? Right? And when you finished cleaning your drawers, you'd, you'd get up and do whatever he told you to do, right? 
I mean, it's scary. Angels are not the fat little cherubs rolling around on clouds, right? Uh, angels are fierce. Angels are warriors. Angels, angels can be terrifying uh, when you see them. We see that all throughout the Bible. That's why most of the time, the first words out of the angel is, do not fear, right? I come in peace. Don't fear. Don't run. Don't stop running. Just come here. You know, let, let's talk, right? It's because they're, they're big. It's because preaching the gospel for now is a job assigned to us. It's not a job assigned to the angels. Angels don't have the job to preach the gospel. That's, that's specifically assigned to you and me. That we're designed to tell the story of the gospel and preach the gospel. Matter of fact, throughout the Bible, the only time we see in the Bible an angel preach the gospel is at the end of the end times. And at the end of the end times, God sends an angel to and fro across the earth preaching the gospel from the sky so that, he, so that he knows every person on earth had heard the gospel and had the opportunity to repent. Right? That's the only time we see in scripture an angel preaching the gospel and that's the end of the end times. But can I tell you today that it was also for Peter. He went and got Peter for Peter. Cornelius... Would have, would have listened to the gospel gladly from the angel and done whatever he asked him to do and began to worship Jesus. Cornelius would have done that. But he sent for Peter specifically for Peter because look at your neighbor and say, Peter was stubborn. Now look back at him and say, so are you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> you get mad. People get mad. You, you say it about yourself. That's good. How many of you know that God will place situations in your life that not only uh, give you the opportunity to, to work or, or, or serve or minister to somebody else, not only for them, but to do it for you? That when God opens up opportunities for you to speak to somebody, uh, that it's not always just about who you're talking to, but sometimes in who you're talking to, God is also doing something through you. Because sometimes God will bring you in contact with people and dealing with people that rub you the wrong way. People that cause you concern. Uh, people that irritate you. People that get on your last nerve if you're from the south, right? P people that you just don't want anything to do with and God will say, oh no, you're linked with them. Why God? Why? Come on God, link me to somebody else, Lord. I'm on my last nerve. And God's going, no, because I'm, I'm trying to teach you something in this. Right? I'm trying to teach you to have the proper heart and to have the proper mindset to deal the gospel. And sometimes I have to test that by sending somebody along that makes it hard for you to do what I've called you to do. And in that moment, if they make it, if, if God made it hard for you, listen, if you're, if you're dealing with somebody, ministering to somebody, feel connected to somebody, but you don't like it, God is trying to do something in you. God is trying to do something in you in that moment. Listen, unless it leads you into sin, right? Then you know that they, did, they were not linked to you by God. So if it leads you into sin, it wasn't God that sent that person into your life. But if you know that it was God that sent that person into your life, but it annoys everything within you, then you know God is not just using you to do something in their life. He's using them to do something in your life. How many of you got somebody that's just annoys you? It's okay to say it, man. We're truth tellers here in the church, right? It's all right to say it, right? Sometimes you got people in your life that just annoy you. 
right? But God, yeah, just know and recognize the signs that that probably means God's trying to do something in your heart. God's trying to do something in you, right? So, so we see this in this moment. Let's finish reading uh, chapter 10 or jump into the next few verses, which are 9 through 16. So the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Again, this was a time of prayer for the Jews. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. Uh, the sixth hour is around noon, so probably lunchtime, right? Uh, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And all the hunters in the room said, Amen. But Peter said, what? Not so, Lord. Remember what I said about if you bow up to something God tells you to do, you're dealing with a religious spirit or a religious mindset. He said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Right? And if you can see Peter saying this in the moment, maybe a touch of pride coming through. No, Lord. For these lips have never, Lord, touched anything unclean. Right? Probably an English actor played that role. You know? <laughs> I don't do an English accent or I try. But, but he said, no, Lord. Nothing has ever touched these lips that is unclean. Right? In the moment he just, no, no, right? And, and, and pay attention to verse 15. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. <laughs> How many of you know, God ain't going to leave you. You just tell him no. Right? No, God, I, I'm not doing that. And a voice spoke to him a second time. And, and what God has said and what God has cleansed, you must not call common. How many of you love uh, wild, wild boar and deer and, and animals like that? Anybody in the room, right? Our hunters and, and people who, who grew up with that kind of food, right? Aren't you glad uh, that we don't have to skip out on all that kind of stuff? Right? We get, we get to have it, right? So, so he told Peter... What I have cleansed, you must not call common. And then it says in verse 16, this was done three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven again. So at first glance, and just a quick read through, we would just assume that this is a memorandum from God on the kosher eating style of the Jews. Right? That God's saying, now listen, uh, this is the way you've been eating for thousands of years, but now we're going to switch it up. Right? That maybe it's just a memorandum on the kosher eating style of the Jews. And, and, and it probably was. But it was also something else. Peter experienced by a vision from the Lord the first IMAX movie theater screen. He, God let down an IMAX screen and showed Peter a movie. Right? And if you read that, that's what happened. Right? He was in a trance. He saw a vision. He saw a giant screen bound at four corners and saw a movie happening in the screen that showed all kinds of wild animals. And then God said, hey, Peter, you can have all that. You can eat that. Right? It was, it was this huge movie screen. And Peter experienced this uh, also during a time of prayer, which is just what happened to Cornelius. But instead of God dropping a movie screen in Cornelius' room, God sent an angel to talk to Cornelius. So how many of you know it was noontime? It says he was hungry, so Peter was probably also a little bit hangry at the moment. 
So when God told him to do something that offended his flesh in the moment or, or offended his religious spirit, his first, his first thing was no. No, I'm not going to do that, right? So, so let's, talk, let's look at these two situations. So we see Cornelius who doesn't yet know Jesus. And God the Father sends an angel to Cornelius. And the angel says, Cornelius. And Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? Or basically, what can I do for you, Lord? Yes, Lord. Right? We see this happen in the moment in Cornelius. And then the Lord spoke to Peter, who's the leader of the Christian church. He's an apostle of the Lord. And God spoke to Peter and his answer is, not so, Lord. No. But how many of you know this isn't new for Peter? This is something God's trying to work out in Peter. This is something that God needs to change in Peter. Because how many of you remember when Jesus knelt down to wash Peter's feet? Peter said, no, Lord. And when Jesus said to Peter, listen, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die, uh, but I'll be back in three days. Peter said, no, Lord. Right? And many times when Jesus told Peter something to do or gave him direction that offended his religiousness or offended his flesh, the first thing out of his mouth was, no. Now we pick on Peter a lot. But the truth is, there's an awful lot of Peters sitting in this room. We all are Peter at, on occasion and at times, right? How many of you know Peter was from the south? <laughs> How do you know that? Because when the Lord told him to eat uh, non-kosher food, he said, why I never. Right, that's a southern phrase. See, why I never. I never put anything in my mouth that was unclean. And, and listen, Peter may have not ever put anything in his mouth that was unclean. But how many of you know Peter let a lot of stuff fly out of his mouth that was unclean? <laughs> and if he had been listening to Jesus, he would have known that's as much of a sin right there, Peter. In fact, more so. Right? He let a lot of things fly. So, so when, when God said, uh, what God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. So when God speaks, how many of you know the next words out of our mouth should be, yes, Lord. Whenever God speaks to you, and how, how does God speak to you, Pastor Steve? Right here? In a primary way? When you, when you open this up and you begin to read, and it tells you to do something to change your life, and you feel that bow up inside of you? The first thing out of your mouth, even no matter how you feel, should be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I need to change that. Yes, Lord. So, so in this moment, God speaks. And when God speaks, we should say, yes, Lord. And listen, whether he sends an angel to you or you're reading in scripture or you're sitting in church listening to a message or you're, you're singing along with worship and something in the song hits you. And how many of you know, it doesn't matter. You could be in the middle of Publix shopping and the Holy Spirit can drop something on you out of the blue and say, listen, you need to change this about yourself. And then pay attention to how you react when that happens. Do you react humbly and say, yes, Lord? Or do you have palm out and say, Lord, speak to the hand? Seems rude, doesn't it? Well, listen, if he's Lord... It's always rude to say no. If he, that's an oxymoron. Lord no is an oxymoron. Because if he's Lord of your life, when the Lord speaks to you, the answer should always be yes. Yes, Lord.
right? So, so the, uh, the Lord sent this vision to Peter three times. Again, stubborn. Say stubborn. Sent it to Peter three times. Do you think the Lord just really wanted Peter to try bacon? About a quarter of y'all got that. Jews didn't eat pork, right? Do you think, do you think God just really wanted Peter? Man, listen, you got to try this. Like bacon is good. Like, like try this, Peter, right? It, it could have been. Yeah, definitely the Lord wanted Peter to try bacon. I think that's a definite, right? Uh, maybe he wanted to prepare Peter for missionary food. Because Mr. Ray Zentz, how many times did you have to feed some, eat something out of the ordinary in Africa? Right? Something that you weren't, you, well, you kind of grew up in Africa, so hot dogs here might be out of the ordinary for you. But, but sometimes missionaries go into the field and they have to eat something out of the ordinary. You think maybe he was preparing Peter, like when you go to evangelize and reach the lost, like you're going to have to eat some stuff maybe that, that isn't what you're used to, right? Uh, maybe that's what it meant in the moment. Listen, the only out-of-the-country uh, missionary trip I've ever taken was to Uruguay, and I would go again in a heartbeat because Uruguay, all they eat is barbecue and french fries, man. I'm like, I am in. <laughs> you know, yes, I'll take some more barbecue. Yes. You know, that's what they eat. Asada. So, so uh, how many of you know that, yeah, maybe the Lord wanted Peter to try bacon because bacon is so good. And maybe the Lord was preparing him to change the dietary habits because the church wasn't going to be living under the strict laws uh, of the Jewish people anymore, but was going to be living under the laws of God, doing things a little differently. Right? Maybe all of that... But just maybe this, maybe the Lord wasn't so concerned about changing Peter's eating habits as he was about changing Peter's heart. So in the moment, the way that the Lord knew that he could offend, how many of you know God will offend you quick if he can get to your heart doing it? And maybe in the moment, God knew the quickest way to offend Peter to his heart was through his eating habits. And when he revealed something in his eating habits, then Peter would get it in his heart and in his head. Right? God, God will use the strangest things in your life to reveal things to your heart, to change your heart. So the rest of chapter 10 and through chapter 11, we see Peter respond to the Lord and go to the household of Cornelius to preach the good news. Peter shows up and Cornelius falls down in worship. And Peter says, whoa, I'm just a man. Yes, the angel told, told you to call for me. And yes, I'm coming. And yes, I'm going to teach you and preach to you. But I'm just a man. Do not worship me. Right? Stand up. So in this moment, we see that. And then before Peter preaches, he lets, he, he lets them know how uncomfortable he is. Say <laughs> so stubborn. God sent an angel to a man who sent people to get Peter who told him the story of an angel coming to a man who didn't know Jesus, didn't know Peter, but sent him and told him where he'd be to be there. And Peter walks in the room after God turned on an IMAX movie and told him that he could eat anything and don't call unclean what I've called clean and had a double meaning, which is food and people, right? And after all of that, Peter walks in the room and goes, just so you know, it's illegal for me to be here with you people. Just so you know, this isn't right or kosher. 
but God told me to do it, so I'm here, so don't touch me. You know, that's, that's kind of how Peter walked in the room, right? He immediately announced that it was against everything within him to be there. How many of you would want to listen to a preacher who walked in and goes, listen, y'all, I don't like y'all. I don't want none of y'all to touch me. Like, you just stay away from me. Would you listen to his preaching? <laughs> Probably not. You'd be like, Psh, whatever, there's another church down the road, right? You'd be heading to another church, right? But in this moment, Peter walks in the room, and this is exactly what he does. He shows up, and he says this. He says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man of my stature to be in this room with all of y'all. Right? I told you Peter was Southern. That's why he says all y'all. So how many of you know that during this time and long before it, Jewish synagogue leaders practiced walking with their arms completely covered and tucked up into their dress. Completely covered and tucked up so that you didn't see any skin. And the reason that was, was so when they were out and about in the city, that they didn't accidentally touch a Gentile. What's a Gentile? A non-Jewish person. Because if they had just accidentally touched a non-Jewish person then what would happen next is they would have to go back and walk through ritual cleansings to cleanse themselves after touching somebody that they deemed was unclean. And God is saying in this moment, Peter, I love all my children. Peter, what I have called clean, you don't dare call unclean. Peter, who I've called you to minister to, you minister to them with love and kindness and grace. Peter, don't you dare call unclean what I've called clean. So, so in this moment, we see what's going through Peter's mind and what's happening here. Sometimes, guys, there's such a deep-rooted religiousness bound up in the hearts of men that God needs to root it out before they can effectively use them. God needs to root it out of your heart before he can effectively use you for the gospel. So we see what happens next in chapter 11. Peter preaches the gospel. Peter shares the good news. We spent four to six weeks here talking about the gospel and what the gospel is and the good news of the gospel. This is what Peter shares with them. The, the thing that we see next is that Cornelius and all of his household and all of the guests that he brought to hear Peter receive Christ. All of them. And then what we see next is the Holy Spirit fell on all the people in Cornelius' house. They receive Christ. And while Peter continues to preach, the Holy Spirit falls on all of them that were in the house. The people in Cornelius' house begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy. They begin to magnify God and worship because the truth of the gospel was laid on them. Why, why would somebody worship so crazily like that in the moment who already loved God? Because they, they, were at, they were kept at a limit. They were allowed to love God from a distance. And now they heard something that allowed them to love God right up close, man. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, began to prophesy, began to magnify God. I, could you just imagine that scene with people who loved God but were kept at a distance? And then all of a sudden they were pulled in close to God and they got to really feel him and really touch him and really know that he's real. 
And in that minute, they, they worshipped. They worshipped. And then, but remember when I told you about God's doing a twofold work? Peter didn't come by himself. He brought a group of men with him who were also Jews. Because, probably because he was scared to go to a centurion's house, a Gentile's house by himself. But he brought this group of people with him. Went into the house. The next thing it says in chapter 11 is that they were, all those with Peter who were Jews were astonished at what the Lord was doing. They were astonished. God will do something in somebody's life, use you to do it, and cause you astonishment from it. Because he's trying to do something in them and trying to do something in you at the same time. Amen. So when they all picked up their jaws off the floor, they got to work water baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They began to baptize all who were in Cornelius' household. This story is miraculous. That's why I love that we're spending this time in Acts. Because this is a refreshing book to the church. This is a book that the church needs to get back to first and foremost in your mind. So that we can continue to do the work of the gospel. So we can continue to do the work for the kingdom. Right? This story is miraculous and supernatural. But how many of you know it still wasn't without its struggle? As we come to the end of 11, Peter returned to Jerusalem. And the apostles and the brethren of the church were there. Heard what happened. Heard what Peter had gone to do. And they questioned him angrily about eating the Gentiles' food and spending time in a Gentile's home. Religious spirits. Stubbornness. Yelled at him. Peter, I can't believe you went to that Gentile's house. Peter, I heard you ate bacon. Peter, I heard you had shake and bake pork chops. How are we supposed to follow you eating bacon and pork chops? You better go wash up now after you've spent all this time in a Gentile's house. They, they approached him angrily in this moment. Deep-rooted religiousness. But then Peter begins to speak. He tells the story in its entirety. Everything that he saw. The IMAX movie. The trip. What he saw and experienced at Cornelius' house when he saw Gentiles baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying and magnifying God. That they baptized them and they were full-fledged followers of Jesus Christ and there was nothing different in them as there were with them. And he, he told this whole story in its entirety and then Acts 11.18 says this, When they heard these things, they became silent. Church, sometimes we need to shut up. Sometimes when we're saying the wrong things out of our mouth and the Holy Spirit quickens you, the best thing that you can do is become silent. Just zip that lip. Listen, I'm not preaching down. I am preaching to us. When God puts somebody in our life that we struggle with and we find ourselves in the moment talking in a negative light rather than praying in a positive light. Or we find ourselves in a moment talking and telling God why you got to bring those people in my life. God, why you got to do this and, and, and instead of 
praying and having the right mindset, then we're wrong and we got to be silent. And a lot of times when we're silent, the Lord can get a word in edgewise. Us are Peters and we talk a lot. You better preach. I just had to amen myself. <laughs> Nobody else is going to do that? No? Is that the only one? Okay. I'll leave it a little. Thank you. Thank you. Where's Brittany? Tell me to preach. There we go. That's my girl. And when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Pastor Brad, come help me close. They were silent. And then they were amazed. And then they came to an acknowledgement. Wow. God really wants to use that person. Wow. God, you used me despite all the obstacles to reach that person. God, you must really love them and you must really have a strong work to do in me. So God, I, I humble my heart before you today. Would you stand with me today? So I've been ending this series with some big ideas. These are the ideas that we should take with us throughout the week, pray over, think about, meditate on, apply it to our life, right? These are the big ideas. Big idea number one, who God has forgiven and accepted and called son or daughter, we should also forgive and accept. Number two, when the Lord speaks, we say, yes, Lord. What does that look like, Pastor Steve? That means if an angel showed up in your living room, it's yes, Lord. Or if you open the Bible and it says, uh, you know, you really are supposed to forgive because the Lord forgives you as you forgive others. We say, yes, Lord. Or we open up our Bible and, and it says, uh, if you're having any part in any of these sins or unrighteousness in your life, you should repent immediately and run away from those sins. And, and our answer is, yes, Lord. Or it says, if you have something against your brother or sister in the faith, uh, then rather than talking about them, we should go to them and work it out. And, and the answer is, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Would you bow your heads and just close your eyes today? Is there anybody in this room that you recognize and realize right now that you need Jesus Christ? Maybe, it's a, maybe you knew him, but you've walked away from him for a season and you're coming back to him. Or, or maybe you just never took the opportunity. Maybe you've been in churches a long time, but you never took the opportunity to really just accept him into your life and say, yes, Lord. Or maybe, maybe you're new to church and this is all brand new to you. And today you walk in and, and you don't know any of this, but you know that God is tugging at your heart because you feel something you've never felt before. And if any of those apply, this is what I'm going to ask you to do is just lift a hand where you are. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to send a gift over to you. I see that hand. Thank you. I'm going to ask our ushers to grab some of those Bibles. I see that hand. Thank you. 
Is there anybody else in this room that today you want to give your heart, you want to make Jesus Lord of your life? Anybody else? Can we get two Bibles right up here, guys? Just right up in this. Keep your hands up if you raised your hands just so we can give these Bibles to you. So the Lord laid it on my heart this morning. It's not something that we typically do. We always have these Bibles available to people who need them on the exit. But the Lord laid it on my heart this morning uh, to give these Bibles. Third row back. Jim, just hand, lay it right there on the seat. Thank you. The Lord told me to give you these Bibles. And, and this gift in monetary terms is insignificant. Because we buy these Bibles in, in cases. They cost us somewhere around $2.50 a Bible from a Christian network. And, and, and monetarily, these Bibles aren't valuable. Spiritually, these Bibles are invaluable. The information contained within those, those paperback pages are invaluable for your life. Because every single page talks to you. Every single page is God speaking to your heart directing you, guiding you, and telling you how to live. So church, including those two who raised their hand, would you say this prayer with me to say, Father, I need you. I call you Lord. I make you Lord of my life. Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. Jesus, thank you for making a way for me to get to heaven. Lord, talk to me. And I make a commitment that every time you talk to me, I'm going to do my best to say yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give a hand clap of praise to God today? This is how I want to close service today. If, if everybody in the room, if you're comfortable with it, if you're not comfortable with it, I understand. But everybody in the room is comfortable with it. Would you just lift a hand? And, and today I want to pray over all of us against any religiousness, against anything that stands in between who we are and who God wants us to be. Father, I pray and I come against and bind any religious spirits that might be bound up in the hearts of men or women. Father, I pray today that as we listen to your word and as we uh, read the book of Acts, Lord, and as your word is anointed and powerful, that it goes forth to our heart today, Lord, that through your word and through your scripture, Lord, that we would have the right mindset towards people. Father, I declare today in the mighty name of Jesus that if anybody in this place is carrying a religious mindset or a religious spirit, that it must go right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we speak against any spirits that are not of you. They must go right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, any religiousness in their mindsets, Father, any strongholds we tear down by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ today. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be uh, uh, just open to receive what it is you have for us. Father, help us to become the people you desire us to be. Help us to be open to hear your word when we need to hear it. Help us be open to receive your word, no matter how it comes, Lord. As long as it lines up with your scripture, we receive your word and we apply it to our life. 
And Father, we give you all praise and all glory today in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today.